Philippians chapter 4 and uh, verse number 8, we'll just start reading there. In fact, I'd like to do a little review uh, on verses 8 and 9. I don't think it'll hurt us to review what Paul had to say about our thinking, right? And to make sure we're thinking right. Take care of us, our stinking thinking, right? And that way we talked about last time when we were in the book of Philippians. By the way, I appreciate Brother Sam Benzwanger preaching last Wednesday night on the theme and loving one another out of 1 John. It's, uh, we, we won't emphasize that theme too much either. You know, the theme on loving one another. Brother Seth's been preaching that. Brother Stepp's been preaching that in the youth and, and helping young people learn how to love one another. That'll, that'll change. Hey, that'll change your, your teenage years right there. You learn to love, it'll change your adult years too, right? For sure. So that's, uh, that's good. These are good themes for us to hit. Okay, so uh, Philippians chapter 4, and let's just begin reading verse number 8. Our text tonight is going to be verse 10 through 13. Uh, verse 14 is a transitional uh, verse that continues the, the idea that begins in verse 10. So... Um, We'll, we'll save it for the next time, but look at verse eight, if you would. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue if there, and if there be any praise, think on these things. That'd be a good verse to memorize, wouldn't it? Those things which ye have both learned and received and uh, heard and seen in me do. And here's the result. And the God of peace shall be with you. And the God of peace shall be with you. All right, now verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now... At the last, your care of me hath flourished again. Wherein you also, you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. In other words, he's saying, I, I know that you've always, you've been concerned about me, but you just didn't have the opportunity to do so. So, by the way, it might help our reading if you knew that uh, that this is about the gift, the uh, monetary gift that they sent to be a help to him, the lo love offering, we would say, a love offering to be a help to Paul. So he says, I rejoice greatly that your care for me flourished again, that you, you gave. Verse 11. <clears throat> Not that I speak in respect of want. You catch what he's saying right there? Not that I really needed it. Here's a missionary that said he didn't need the love offering. Right? Well, how, how does that happen? <laughs> Verse 11, let's keep reading. Not, not that I speak in respect of want. For I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things I am, what's the next word? Instructed. All right, so he says, I've learned to be content. And then he says, I am instructed. These are learning verbs. I am instructed 
both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. These are extremities. Then verse 13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Have you ever heard that verse before? Notwithstanding, we'll read verse 14. Notwithstanding, ye have done well. No, you have well done that you did communicate with my affliction. In other words, he's saying it, it's, it's good. I appreciate that you helped me in my need, my affliction, my situation. Okay, so tonight, uh, here's a sermon title. It's uh, Sermon 23, if you're counting, in Philippians. <clears throat> the school of contentment. <laughs> the school of contentment. Are you enrolled? The school of contentment. I trust God will bless the reading of his word as you're seated. Let's get into it here tonight. <clears throat> All right, first of all, let's review here just a little bit. Paul's speaking to the church in Philippi, whom he dearly loves. And he's concerned about what's going on outside the church. Persecution is ramping up. Things are getting more difficult. Not, not that they were ever easy to live the Christian life, but it was just getting more and more challenging to do so, which is much like our day as well. What's going on around us. And then there was also a lot going on within the church. There was a lot at stake. He wanted to see the church to continue. It had been about 10 years that he had been there. And it's a wonderful, actually great giving church. Uh, Paul wrote to the church in Corinth about the churches of Macedonia and how that in a great trial of affliction that they gave even out of their poverty. So here it was, the equation in their life was poverty plus affliction equals generous giving. Doesn't seem like it, you know, would add up that way, but that's how it was. Um, one of the themes that, you know, has come to us over and over again is a the theme of, of strife or contention. I beseech Euodius and I beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Now that, that one has been a little bit more surprising to me, just the theme of unity that's been running from chapter 1, verse 27 or so. Actually, it would begin even before that, but certainly is there, but every, every church where there's people, there's going to be strife. There's going to be times of contention. I just heard somebody mention this at, uh, in, uh, in preaching, said that strife is like a fire and everybody comes to the fire with something. So you either come with water to help put it out or you come with gasoline. I thought that was pretty good. We're a log, you know, to keep it going. Well, when there's strife, that's not a healthy fire. It needs to be put out. So don't bring gasoline. So he was working on that. Well, for things to proceed right, they had to be thinking right. They had to be thinking right. And so we, uh, we took two messages to focus on verse eight. Um, we focused on the negative side of it. Don't think these things. Don't think these things. And then we focused on the positive side. Think these things. All right. So in the first message, we focus on what to filter out. 
there are wrong thoughts and wrong um, influences that we need to keep out of our life because of the work that God is doing in our lives. Um, don't allow in what would counsel, cancel out God's peace. Don't allow in what would cancel God's peace. And it's not going to run God out. I mean, God lives within you. You don't have to worry about that. But the peace of God that passes all understanding, the God of peace shall be with you. So um, I was just teaching. In fact, good to have Brother Raspberry back. They were a week on a trip uh, to New York City in the inner city church planning class. And so I had the privilege to teach the planning class. And, and I just asked, so what's one of the things that you learned? One of the young men uh, spoke up and said, I learned what it meant about grieving the Holy Spirit or quenching the Holy Spirit. Well, that's a great lesson for a new believer. And all of us that have been saved any length of time to be mindful of is that the fact that we can quench or grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So don't let anything into your mind, don't let anything into your life that would quench or grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Okay, the peace of God. In the second message, we focus on the positive side of it. And so if we need to keep the wrong thoughts out because of the work that God is doing within, there's also a positive side to this that we need to equally give attention to. And that would be this, to meditate on the right thoughts. Think these things, he said. Think these things. Just uh, recently in Jeremiah Unruh's letter, his missions letter, he talked about the importance of meditation, meditating. Meditating. Uh, and that just means you're learning scripture and thinking on scripture throughout your day. I'm telling you, that really does help us as we would think on these things. And so he says, think on the right things, have the right influences in your life. Think on the right things within because of the work that God wants to do without. All right. So um, I thought about it this way. Our lives are much like a warehouse where there's a, a receiving department and a shipping department. It's what we're receiving and it's what we're shipping. Okay, so I'm, I'm looking out, I'm seeing some O'Reilly guys. Used to work at the warehouse in Springfield. And so we had the receiving department where everything was coming in. And then we had where I worked in the, in the shipping department, you know, loading trucks. Okay, so you got to be careful what comes in because what comes in has a way of getting out. Okay. Listen to this, uh, this quote. Uh, let your minds be exercised, braced, lifted, filled by bringing them, bringing your mind into contact with truth. Especially the highest of all truths, the truth about God, the truth about Christ. It's Alexander McLaren who's saying this. He said this, why, why should you be living amidst all the small things of daily life? Right? So many times we have such little thoughts. What we need to do is get our thoughts on who God is, the, great, the greatness of God. He says, uh, oftentimes you're, we're focused on the trifles that are here and we need to bring them into vital contact with the greatest of all truths, the truth about God and of Christ and what you have to do with those thoughts and what they have to do with you. So think truth. And so we, uh, we focused on that in terms of whatsoever things are true and honest as opposed to what is deceitful and ungodly. And folks, listen, there's a lot of deceitfulness and ungodliness that is out there in the world. And you got to filter your thoughts and don't let it get into your mind. 
And then he says things that are just, things that are right in God's sight. There's a lot of impurities in the world and you can't afford in your Christian life to let it come in. And things that are pure rather than sinful and impure are lovely. Things that are friendly, think friendly thoughts about one another <laughs> rather than things that are ugly, right? And destructive, virtuous and praiseworthy rather than evil and critical. And so think on these things and then find the right examples around you and follow their example. It's really very much that simple. I, I love those two verses. Well, that brings us now to verses uh, 10 and following. And, and so Paul really is coming to the last thing he's going to talk to them about, which is the gift that they sent. And he's basically saying thank you to them. But he's also exemplifying what he's just been talking about. Because he's saying, um, not that I speak in respect of one. He's got a certain way of thinking. So we're going we're gonna to see that as we get into it. But we're, we're certainly going to focus on the, the need that we have to be content. Too often, we're dependent on our circumstances for our contentment. Uh, look at verse 10 again. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. That now at the last, your care of me or your concern for me hath flourished again. Your care of me hath flourished again. Um, but, and, and not that you weren't careful of, of, of me, verse 10, the latter part of it, but you lacked opportunity. First of all, I want you to see this, that Paul was thankful for their, for their gift, but he was more thankful for what the gift represented. He was thankful for the gift but he was even more thankful for what the gift represented. It had been a while since Paul had heard from them. And of course they sent Epaphroditus. He sent him back with a, this thank you letter that he's writing to them. And you might wonder, well, why is he mentioning the thanks for the monetary gift or for the love offering at the very end of the letter? You know, you might say, well, I, I'd say thank you at the beginning of the letter, right? You know, you're, your grandmother or granddad sends you a gift and you write a four-page letter and then at the very end you say thank you. Well, it's just indicating there's some other things that are even more important than the monetary gift. Okay. And so he's getting at that and you might even think, well, he's not really thankful because he just told him that I didn't really need this. That's not what he's saying at all. He's, he's grateful for it, but there's something more significant. Uh, a few years ago, as I was studying some things about, about missions and missionaries, I was looking at a survey that the uh, BBFI did at the time, and it was, it was just a survey of missionaries. What, do you, what would you need more of? The number one thing that missionaries said that they needed more of was not money. It was this, contact, communication, interaction. You know why? Relationship is more valuable than money. Relationship is more valuable than money. Now, here we are in our tech age and we can text and message and email and communicate with people all over the world within just seconds. It's amazing. Literally FaceTime with them and yet sometimes our missionaries can still feel neglected not communicated with. So we, we want to do our due diligence to do that. Gift giving at this time, as, as even now, was very important to the, to the world missions scene. Um, I learned this as we went to Sri Lanka for the first time. Uh, Brother Unruh helped us to prepare, you know, for the trip. 
And he said, you know, you're going to see this, this a national pastor and this one and this one. And so you might, you might consider bringing a gift because in that culture, gift giving is very significant, very important. Uh, Brother Smith, I've been clicking on some of the, the series that you're doing on, the, on Joseph and some of that you did on the disciples. But anyways, Brother Smith is, is uh, sending out some preaching around the world, but he's doing it in your office, I'm assuming at the house. Well, behind him are bookshelves of gifts from the world, from all over the world. Am I right about that? You did not buy those at Walmart, I guarantee it. No, it was just gifts that that people from, from Africa, from Asia, from all over the world that have given, and because gift giving was very significant. And it communicated this, it wasn't so much the value, the monetary value of the gift, as much as it's this, the friendship that's behind that gift. It's saying, I care about what's going on with you. And so Paul says, you know, your gift, I really thank God for that because it, your, your friendship was rejuvenated with me. Not, not that it was lacking. He's being very careful with his words here. He's saying, listen, I know that you've always cared about me, but you just didn't have opportunity. Sadly, a lot of times we have opportunity, but we don't have care. So Paul is, is commending them and he's thanking them that, that it's like springtime, the word flourish. Remember springtime? Um, I thought it was here. <laughs> but here he's saying, your friendship has flourished again. It's, it's like, it literally is. It's a, it's a term of botany that, that is saying it's, it's budding again. It's flourishing again. And, and so he's thankful for that. It's like it's rejuvenated. And here's why. Because their relationship with God gave them a relationship with Paul. And more important than the monetary gift, their relationship was the most valuable part of their relationship. And I think that that's also the, the case between us and the missionaries that we try to support. Say between us and the Browns as we start a relationship in supporting them, then yes, they will be thankful for the, for the gift, uh, the monetary support as they're there in, in Japan. But don't you know, it's the relationship that means even more. That's why we, we get letters you know, from missionaries saying thank you for your support, but also thank you for the care package or thank you for the music you sent here at Christmas time or thank you ladies for the interaction that you've had with, through Lyft as the ladies get together every uh, or eight times a year and they sign cards and do all that they do you know, through Lyft, ladies in fellowship together. Well, a big part of that is, is missions oriented. I love it. And what, it, what it's saying is we haven't forgot you. We thank God for what's going on there in your part of the world and we want to see the gospel advance where you are. That's what that financial support says. It's a statement of faith that we believe that that region of the world needs the gospel. And so that's what Paul is thanking them for. All right, now look at verse number 11. He says, not that I speak in respect of one. I, in other words, he's saying, I don't want you to get the wrong idea here. He's being very careful in saying, I don't want you to get the idea that the monetary gift that you gave is more significant to me than what you are. In fact, I could go without the monetary gift because I've learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Um, we've got to keep in mind here, the main thing he's doing is basically this. He's saying, thank you. He's not necessarily teaching them or preaching to them or writing to them about contentment. But if we'll pay attention, we'll learn something about contentment from what he has to say. 
Okay? Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned, I've learned in whatsoever state I am, including Oklahoma, whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Now, what is, what is contentment? Well, this actual word of contentment, this is an adjective form of it. It's only used right here. The noun is used only two other times. It's used in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 9 and verse number 8. Okay, and it says that this there, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you that ye always having all sufficiency. So right there, it's translated sufficiency. But the, it's the same word as the word, whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Sufficiency, sufficiency. Paul says that God is able uh, always with having all sufficiency in all things that you might have all sufficiency in all things uh, may abound to every good work. It's also used in uh, the noun is used in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6. But, and you might know this verse, but godliness with what? Contentment is great gain. In other words, Paul is saying to the rich of the, of the world, hey, listen, don't, don't try to find your contentment in riches. Because that is circumstantial. Uh, it's temporary. If you don't believe that, just drive to the gas pump. So again, it's this idea of, of being sufficient. Being sufficient. That now, contentment, I mean, I, I think you can see that. Um, in fact, uh, one other definition I found was that it's just this. It's contained. It's contained. I, I have, in other words, Paul's saying, I'm thankful for the gift because it tells me that you care about me. But I want you to know I, I actually have everything I need. If I never received another love offering, I still have everything I need. I'm sufficient. Okay? I'm sufficient. Now, hang, hang on to that thought just a moment. Um, circumstances were the arena of his spiritual growth. Because he says, I've, I've learned to be a base. I've learned to abound. I, I've had both extremities. I've had both extremes. I, I have eaten very well. And I've had nothing to eat at times. And yet he's saying, I've got everything I need. I've got everything I need. Um, I like what one individual said here. L listen to this. This King James Bible commentary said this. Paul had been in God's school of discipline and earned his advanced degree by taking postgraduate courses in difficulty. <laughs> we'll run that by you one more time. Paul had been in God's school of discipline and earned his advanced degree by taking postgraduate courses in difficulty. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like to take difficulty. Difficult classes or the difficulty that comes from life. <laughs> but they are necessary to bring us to contentment. I was enrolled in the School of Contentment just yesterday. 
just yesterday. I uh, took the day off. Uh, we, we do a personal paid time quarterly. I just uh, give uh, the pastoral staff and staff opportunity to kind of catch up on other things. You know, we, I take off on Monday. It's my day off. But, you know, we tack on a, we call it a PPT, a personal paid time onto a, a day off. So went fishing on Monday, had a great day. Talk about contentment, had a good day catching fish. It was easy being content. Oh, that's easy contentment. Put a smile on your face. In fact, one, um, one definition I found of content was this, a happy state of mind. A happy sta Are you in a happy state of mind tonight? A happy state of mind. Well, when you're reeling in fish, it's easy to be in a happy state of mind. I've had other kind of fishing trips, have you? Just yesterday, though, on Tuesday, on the personal day to catch up on some projects around the house, I did not realize that I was enrolling in the school of contentment. I was there to do a few projects around the house, and a few extra projects came up, some that I was not expecting. The sink in the kitchen was leaking. And then the drain that's from the dishwasher and the washing machine was stopped up. So I was trying to stop water on one hand and get water going on the other hand. <laughs> All the while also trying to take care of a check engine light. As we're driving to the, uh, to the shop uh, for the second time, I looked over at Angie and said, I'm preaching tomorrow night about contentment. It was, it was one of those days. You had one? I told her, I'm ready to go back to work. <laughs> I was quickly reminded that we are too dependent on our circumstances for our contentment. Because I got to thinking in my mind, this is my one day off. I didn't say it out loud, but I thought it out as loud as I was about to say it. <laughs> I got one day to get all this done. Why is all this other going on? Anybody else done that? Or you say, man, I got a carnal pastor. <laughs> well, you do, but. Paul says, uh, I've been abased. I've been through difficulty. Boy, you ever read Paul's list of difficulty and blush with embarrassment for even mentioning your little piddly difficulties? Never been, never spent the night in the deep. Never been beat, well, uh, kind of, but not like he had been. And, <laughs> I mean, all that he'd been through. I mean, I, you talk about difficulty, the man. And yet he says, I've learned some things. I've learned how to be content. I've learned how to be content when I have everything going great. But I've also learned to be content when everything is going very, very badly, very poorly. I, I've learned to be content. I've learned, in fact, when he says here, I'm instructed in this, the word instructed is the same idea of like in some other religious uh, groups, the initiation uh, into a mystery religion. Now that's not what Paul's talking about, but he's, he's saying this, I learned, we might, we might say it this way, I've learned the secrets of this. He says, I've learned the secret to contentment. 
Because this word contentment that he was using was not a word that just Paul used. It was also used by some of the, the thinkers of their day and time. You might know them as the Stoics. You would maybe be familiar with names like Socrates and others that talked about just, just being content, being self-sufficient. In fact, I, I want to read even that definition by Thayer's that, that it said this, sufficient for oneself, strong enough and possessing enough to have no need of aid. Strong enough. Now listen, this is how the word was used. The word, is everybody still tuned in right here? It's how the word was used outside the word of the Bible. And there were these Greek thinkers that, that, that did not allow the, the whims of society, the passions of their own hearts to control them or their circumstances. They, they came at life from this perspective. I'm sufficient in myself. I'm strong enough. I possess enough to have no need of aid or support, independent, uh, my contentment is, listen, my contentment is independent of external circumstances. That's what the Stoics of the day thought. That's how they acted. They, they, in fact, on the surface, on the surface, if you looked at their life and how they were not affected, I mean, it was almost like they were passionless. They were oblivious to the circumstances that were going on around them. They, their life was not up and down. It was just kind of steady. On the surface, their life would have looked much like Paul. But the source was completely different. Because their, their thinking was rooted in humanism and thus they were saying, I'm strong in myself. I'm not gonna be blown around by what's going on around me. I've got the strength of mind to handle this. I'm not gonna be phased by a leaky faucet. I'm not gonna be phased by a stopped up drain. I'm not gonna be phased by a check engine light. I'm just gonna put tape over it. I'm not gonna be phased. I'm not going to be phased by these things because I have everything I need. Watch this. I have everything I need in myself. Paul said, there's no good thing in me that is in my flesh. So Paul says, listen, I'm thankful for the gift. It shows me that you love and care for me, but I'm not saying this in respect of one because I've learned, I've learned this. I've learned through the process of life that my contentment is not contingent on my circumstances. I'm not more happy when I get more money. I'm not more, more pleasant to be around when everything's going my way. I'm not grumpy. I'm not murmuring. I'm not complaining when everything bad is going on. In other words, he's saying, I've learned these things to be content in these things. He says in verse 12, let's look at it right quick here together. He says, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. And everywhere and in all things, I am instructed. I, I've, I've learned the secret both. He says both how to be full and to be hungry, both how to abound and to suffer need. He says, thanks for the gift, but I don't really need anything because I got everything I need. But he's not saying it like the Stoics said it of their day. Because he's saying, I've got everything I need because of verse 13. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Now this verse has been abused. This verse has been ripped out of its context and put under the eyes of NFL players. In the eye black, written in white, Philippians 4, 13. It's been put there, it's been put on tattoos. 
It's been spray painted on poster boards. It's been held up. I can do all things through Christ with strength in me. I can make that touchdown. I can score that goal. I can hit that home run. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me, which really is rather self-centered because it's about your success. The context of this verse is this, is that you can, you, you are not phased by the hard times that come because you know Christ is sufficient for you in those times. And you're not, you're not enamored or, or dazzled by the, the wealth and glamour of this world because you know that really you don't have anything that God didn't allow to come your way in the first place. And so you're humble, not thinking that you did this, but rather you're humble and saying, God, I thank you today that you gave me these things and you allowed these things to come into my life. In fact, even on the tri trial side, that God, I know that you're in charge and I know that you're sufficient and that nothing can get to me that hasn't come through your all office, so to speak. You are sufficient for these things and you are either sending this into my life by way of a basement and all those difficulties that have come, or you're allowing these things to come in my life to help me see that my circumstances are not my source of contentment, but rather it's Christ. So before you put the verse up on a wall, you better make sure you really want all that comes with that verse. I was going to say before you get it tattooed, but you shouldn't do that anyways. <laughs> Paul says, um, thank you for the gift. It shows me that you care. But really, I've got everything I need in Jesus Christ. He learned. He learned. Right now, you, you and I are learning. We're to be enrolled in his school of contentment. His school. I'm afraid that we too often drop out of that school and find an easier school. This verse 13 does not cover any power that you need for personal success it's limited by the will of God for your life. And if God has brought you to it, he can bring you through it. Can it be applied for overcoming temptation? Can it be applied to, to serving God in ministry? Absolutely. But the first place it ought to be applied is finding my contentment in Christ regardless of my circumstances because I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. He's the one that enables me. Paul learned to be content regardless of his circumstances because he was dependent on Christ. Amen. The Greek thinkers of the day were saying, we're independent. But Paul is saying this, the only way I can be independent is if I'm dependent on Christ. Now, let me make some application here. First of all, Although you may think this seems a little disjointed because on one hand you're talking about a gift and then you're talking about contentment, but really it's in the same context. But on the gift side of this, on, the, on, on this side of it, let me, let me say it this way. Since relationship is more valuable than money, consider what you might do to show your care. Reach out to a missionary. 
contact them by all means. That, that's a wonderful way for us to say, hey, we're with you. We support you. And so many of you do that. Keep, I just want to encourage you. Keep doing that. Keep emailing. Keep texting. Keep FaceTiming. All that you're doing, keep doing that to our missionaries because that's just, in fact, that's even more valuable than our monetary giving to them. But let me apply it this way. Relationship is more valuable than money. Everybody agree with that? <coughs> apply that to your spouse. Um, I'm sure she appreciates the way that you provide for the home she wants a relationship with you more than your finances. You say, not mine. She wants my finances. I guarantee it. <laughs> no, a relationship is more important, more valuable than money. Keep the money coming. <laughs> but just remember, relationship is more important than money. How about with kids? Doesn't it apply there? I mean, uh, our kids need us to support them and take care of them financially and all those things, but they, all, they need us, don't they? They need us. Contentment. What we learn from Paul in the school of contentment. Um, I mean, God had to get my attention yesterday. I was kind of kidding around about all that, but, you know, we all have days. And sometimes they turn into weeks. Months, years. If you're discontent tonight, discontent with your job, discontent with your spouse, discontent with your kids, discontent with your parents, discontent with your church, discontent with your car, discontent with your truck, discontent with him and her and this and that. Um, it's because you're trying to find your contentment apart from Christ. And you'll never do it. You'll be frustrated if you're trying to find contentment in having, listen, listen carefully here. You'll be frustrated. Discontent, we could say. You'll be discontent. If you're trying to find contentment in constantly pleasant circumstances. Because what you just described right there is called heaven. If you think everything's supposed to be going real smooth, everybody listen to this. Everything's supposed to be going real smooth in my life. And if it's not. Ah! In heaven. We will not have to deal with taillights that go out. We will not have to deal with weeds that pop up in your pre-emerged sprayed yard. You will not have to deal with brackets that get busted in the first round by peacocks. In heaven, you will not have to deal with homework. In heaven, you will not have to deal with deadlines. In heaven, you will not have to deal with unruly children in Sunday school or unruly adults in the auditorium. In heaven, 
I just had to throw that one in there. In heaven, you will not have the incessant amount of daily tasks that just keeps building and building and building. But until you get to heaven, there will be taillights to change. There will be brackets to tear up, homework to do, deadlines to meet, children to deal with. Until then, you better find your contentment somewhere other than your circumstances. On the other hand, your abundance, okay, your abundance is setting you up for disappointment if you're trying to find contentment somewhere other than Christ. You say, hey, look, my bracket's good. Huh? I like Kansas. <laughs> See? Or whatever. Uh, my taillights are working. I don't deal with all that you just described. Life is good. Life is smooth. I'm making money. I've got friends. I've got health. I've got good job. I've got a good girlfriend. I've got a good spouse. I've got good kids. I've got good. I've got good. I've got good. I've got good. Well, if you try to find your contentment in all you got good, pardon the bad English, you ain't got good English. <laughs> That's a false sense of security and a false sense of contentment. And it won't last because it's still based on circumstances and what happens when everything changes in the economy. What happens when your health changes? I'm telling you, just like that, isn't it true? Just like that, everything can change. Just looked out and I saw some of the friends of Brett Green and Brett Green's health changed in a, in a hurry. Of course, it's Gabe Green's uh, dad and such. But I'll tell you what hasn't changed is Brett Green's love for Christ. And even though his health changed, and by, by the way, praise the Lord, he's doing better gaining progress. But, but listen, our contentment cannot be based on our health or our circumstances because that could change in such a hurry. You'll be discontent if you try to find contentment in yourself apart from Christ. You, you can't say, I'll just have stronger inner resolve. I'll have more discipline. I'll work harder. I'll work longer. I have need of nothing. I'll do yoga. I'll have more accomplishments. I'll do what I want to do and I will be content. If it's based in you, it won't last. Contentment is found only in Christ. And watch this. And accepting whatever he brings or whatever he allows to come into your life. Whether abounding or things being abased difficult. If Christ allowed it, you can say, Lord, I'm going to trust you through this. I'm not saying he causes sin. He does not. He cannot. He's holy. But he's so sovereignly in control that he allows us to have our own will and make our own choices and suffer the consequences of those choices because he has enrolled you in his school of contentment 
to teach you, you're not going to find contentment where you think you will find it. You'll find contentment in him and him alone. Father, thank you tonight for caring enough about our spiritual life to enroll us in the school of contentment. And I pray, dear God, that you'd help us to find our contentment solely in Christ. I, I pray you'd help us to understand what Paul is saying. And, it, and it's, it's, it does tie into what the song said a moment ago. It's, it's Christ who lives within me. And it's not my strength, but it's his. Oh God, I pray you'd help us to find our contentment in Christ. Help us tonight have this, to have this invitation as you invite us to come and learn of you since you invited us to do so. And to learn this same lesson and not be blown off course by our circumstances, good or bad. Help us, dear God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand tonight.